this is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actual ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the Modern Family Office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. The following is a conversation with William Ackridge. William is a managing director at Ackridge Ventures. He is he runs the early stage part of his family's family office. He's also very active in the philanthropic space uh, through his family foundation called the Ackridge Family Foundation. So, William, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So, William, let's start with a little bit about your background. I think you have an interesting uh, way that you got into what you're doing right now, especially on the former teacher part. For sure. Happy to dive into that. So. Um, I graduated from Georgia Tech, uh, did a lot of mechanical engineering, but ended up with a degree in uh, business management with a focus in finance. And when I graduated from college, um, I thought that I would either go work for my brother, who was running the trading desk at an investment bank, or, or move to New York. Um, but before I did that, I wanted to live abroad, and travel has been very important for our family. I, I feel very lucky. Uh, it was really great exposure to other cultures and recognizing just because people do it differently doesn't make it wrong, but actually provides uh, an opportunity to learn. And so um, I took a job teaching English in Korea uh, directly out of college with the thought of doing that for a year and then going on to my professional career. And we'll tell you how that kind of extended for a little more than a year. Um, and so I uh, as I said, took a job teaching English in Korea. I had never taught anything before. I'm, I'm the youngest member of the second generation of our family and uh, the youngest grandchild on that side of the family. So I had not had younger siblings or babysitting experience, had never dealt um, with younger students, uh, but wanted to do something to live abroad. And teaching English was uh, an easy option to do that. And so I took a job teaching English in Korea and I moved to... What was that like? It, it was an amazing experience and, and kind of launched um, my first career. I spent almost a decade in education, and which I think kind of translates pretty well to the venture environment where essentially you are a lifelong learner and you're learning something um, about a topic that you may not know a lot about. And it's really about uh, taking a deep dive uh, and learning as much as you can about a certain subject. And so... Um, I flew over to Korea and six hours later, they gave me a lesson plan. I didn't even know what a lesson plan was. And they kind of pushed me in front of a, a kindergarten class of uh, 10 small children and, and 20 eyes look up at me and, and 20 eyes start crying. As uh, if you've met me, I'm a, I'm a tall guy. And, and um, I said, oh, no, what have I done with myself? And uh, very quickly learned to get down on their level and, and sat down on the ground and, and really fell in love with education. And so, uh, as I said, spent about a decade in education from uh, teaching in Korea to uh, getting my master's in education and um, teaching in the California public school system in Northern California, which was an amazing, uh, an amazing experience taught high school mathematics to a, a largely uh, immigrant and migrant population, um, which was uh, a fabulous experience. And from there, wanted to have a little bit larger impact than just you know, 30 kids times five classes in a classroom and uh, went to work on a World Bank project in Vietnam, um, focused on uh, high school-based aid 
and uh, lived in, in Da Nang in central Vietnam and spent a lot of time on a motorbike out in the Hamlets, uh, which was an amazing experience for some of these places. It uh, might have been the first Western that they had seen since 1975. Uh, so there was a lot of culture shock on both ways, but um, a really kind people and was welcomed into homes. And um, it, was, it was a really fabulous experience. Towards the end uh, of my time in Vietnam, uh, Michelle Rhee uh, was very focused on ed reform here in the United States, specifically in D.C., which is my home. And uh, I got involved in the charter school movement and went to work for uh, in an operations capacity, so outside of the classroom, um, for a charter school in Southeast D.C., and uh, with the mind of trying to start charter schools on my on my own. So. After some time there, I started a nonprofit, uh, went to a charter school leader training program in Boston, and worked to start charter schools on the eastern shore of Maryland, where I grew up. And um, Dorchester County uh, is the third lowest performing school district in the state and has very similar, the the rural has very similar issues to Baltimore and and Prince George's County. Um, Got the largest federal grant of its kind in the country. Uh, and really kind of beat heads with uh, the local authorizer uh, for, for, school di- for charter schools, which was the local school board. And so after two years of kind of beating my head against a wall, um, and in that time, um, finding uh, the woman who, who I would get married to, I said, okay, it's, it's time to um, change focus here, uh, you know, to uh, focus a little bit more on uh, accumulating some resources to support a family. And so at, at that time, I went to work. Uh, for the family office. So how did your family office come about? For sure. And so I guess it was it was really more a, a creation around um, second generation. Uh, my father developed a, a lot of infrastructure um, for his portfolio and also kind of around lifestyle. Grew up on a fabulous farm on the, the eastern shore of Maryland and um, kind of as my brother, sister, and I, as I mentioned, I'm the youngest, uh, started to uh, get into our professional careers, it became clear that more um, infrastructure needed to be built out around uh, the transfer of wealth and the preservation um, and uh, addition to uh, family wealth uh, was, was important. And so that kind of sparked the idea of, you know, how do we formalize this a little bit more. How do we involve investment professionals who may have um, subject matter expertise in areas, uh, sectors that we may not? And uh, that was kind of really the driving force. So you're focused on the venture portion, but if I recall correctly, your family was very active in the real estate space and still is. Correct. So the family operating company is Ackridge Real Estate based in DC, uh, commercial real estate developer and property manager um, really on Class A and Trophy office space in D.C., uh, which with current conditions uh, is an interesting space to say the least, though uh, we've persevered fairly well. Um, and then uh, in the last five years and, and kind of good timing uh, has been more of a focus on multifamily in the mid-Atlantic region at large, specifically in the Research Triangle and, and uh, North Carolina and, and the Charlotte area. Um, and, and that's really headed up by uh, my father, who, who founded the company, and then my sister, who's the chief operating officer and uh, senior vice president at, uh, at the real estate company. So when you look at the overall portfolio, what, what drew you towards the early stage 
investing side? Yeah, so I think it, it ties back to um, my love of innovation, being analytical. We're, we're all kind of um, engineers at heart. And both my father and my brother went to Georgia Tech. My sister got an engineering degree from Duke. And um, I, even as I was in my education career, uh, I was involved in conversations and, and sat kind of to the side of investment committee would taking a look at uh, early stage investing opportunities. I, I think kind of two things. One is the opportunity for, shall we say, kind of chunk yardage um, to make smaller investments than we were making, those sizable, still smaller investments than we were making on the real estate side. Uh, with the hopes of uh, large outsized returns. And so that was really exciting. And then, and then the other side was just kind of that love of learning, uh, of, of learning about something new. As, as a child, we came to the dinner table with business ideas and everybody would pick them apart. And um, it's, it's something that we spent a, a lot of time on kind of growing up and, and uh, you know, with that entrepreneurial spirit uh, was something that was, was exciting to me. Um, and, and, you know, the ability to, uh, invest in disruptive technologies that will change the world, uh, and, and kind of more of a focus recently on, on things that will do good. I don't think that we have a specific ESG mandate. Um, but I think that, you know, as we see the state of the world right now, I think that people are recognizing that you can make good returns as well as do good at the same time. And that kind of plays as well into the, the philanthropic side. So when you look at early stage, are there sectors that you prefer? Is there, you know, how do your investments come together? Are they typically control or how do you look at it on the early stage? So as I started off and spent um, a little less than a decade running the early stage portion of the family portfolio, um, we were very much generalists and recognizing and, and opportunistic as much as possible of, of really looking for what we thought was strong value in a deal, uh, looking for entrepreneurs who uh, not only we liked and trusted, but also felt that could get the job done. So team is, is really, I think, number one or 1A. Um, and so uh, we had investments kind of across the spectrum, uh, trying to, we're not big fund investors, uh, and so we have inve uh, had investments across the spectrum and really kind of using the idea of a venture partner model of recognizing that you cannot be an expert in all things. Um, of course, we have prop tech investments, real estate and construction technology, which is something that is, is right in our wheelhouse. And we can use either our own real estate company or um, construction vendors to help us diligence technology, but really recognizing that a subject matter expert is really important when investing in technology and uh, recognizing that we cannot do that all ourselves. And so if we found a deal that we liked, uh, we thought there was value um, in the deal terms, uh, we felt that there was need in the market, and uh, we felt there was a strong team, um, then we would take a look at our Rolodex and say, you know, is there a non-biased third party that we could bring in to really help us diligence the ones and zeros of the technology um, that we did not feel that we had the capacity to do. And so um, it, it had kind of stayed in the seed in Series A, um, continued with follow-on throughout. Uh, normally follow-on, um, I'll get to, we've started to lead a little bit more with, with Acreage Ventures. Um, and so uh, 
it's it's been a fun ride. We've learned a lot, uh, and um, it's it's just been a lot of fun. Is there a geographic focus? Uh, or do you tend to look at United States as a, as an area there, or do you do you go abroad? So we've invested exclusively in companies based in the U.S. Uh, though we are not, you know, coast focused of New York, Boston, and San Francisco. Uh, we found deals, great deals. I think you find great value uh, in the middle of the comp- in the middle of the country. And uh, I think that we're also seeing just due to kind of the the nature of remote work right now is you know that that people are not necessarily gravitating to those traditional VC technology innovation centers um they're they're kind of across the country so we have certainly deals on each coast but um deals in the center of the country including minneapolis and kansas city and um kind of far-flung places that are uh places that you don't normally get to go but are, are always fun to visit and usually have wonderful people and fabulous food and and um not only a great opportunity what drove you towards looking at biotech, because that's a very specific part of uh, early stage and requires that expertise that you were talking about. For sure. I think maybe it makes sense to, to kind of get to how where we are now. And so about four years ago, I spun Acreage Ventures out of our family office in order to take outside capital. We were getting interest from high net worths and, and other family offices on, on the deals that we were doing, uh, if they could participate as well. And we were always happy to make an introduction to, uh, to the operator, to the entrepreneur, to the company. Um, but at times, maybe check sizes weren't sufficient to, to get allocation and deals. And uh, we just weren't set up to take outside capital. And so I spun Acreage Ventures out. And essentially, what we do is every deal that we underwrite at Acreage Ventures, the family office participates between 10 and 25% or more, um, but at least so kind of greater than the standard, you know, 2% GP model, uh, which I think really ensures that we are aligned with our investors, uh, that we have a lot of skin in the game, but it also fulfills kind of the, the mandate that we have at the family office um, to have a strong venture portfolio. And so um, it, it, we have done deals at Acreage Ventures across sectors in the asset class. Uh, and our, our most recent deal that we are, knock on wood, having our initial close tomorrow, which looks like things are going well, um, especially in, in these times where we have seen some headwinds, especially in biotech. Um, this is a deal that I had been tracking for the technology, at least for about a decade. Um, I, I know one of the uh, scientific founders who's an amazing person, is a world-class chemist, and um, biological chemist, and uh, they just recently commercialized the technology in the last year. And so, um, one, it, very briefly, it's, it's essentially the next generation naloxone, Narcan, uh, which is used for overdoses in the opioid space, which I think we can all agree um, you know, is in a, a large issue in our society these days last year. Um, the numbers continue to grow on, on opioid over, overdose deaths. I think COVID has uh, shielded a little bit from the public eye, um, but unfortunately uh, has exacerbated the, the problem because a lot of people were not able to access the services that they really needed. And so um, th- this 
small molecule drug development platform. Their lead molecule, Sedaxine, the company's called Adalerix, uh, essentially has the next generation naloxone, Narcan, um, where not only does it uh, reverse opioid-induced respiratory depression, which is um, really the main killer that's it is lethal and, and is how you actually die, uh, unfortunately, on an opioid overdose, uh, which naloxone does a, a very good job of, uh, but unfortunately, it also blunts the analgesic effect of the opioid. So uh, it throws the user directly uh, into withdrawals, uh, which can be dangerous in and of itself. Um, and then also is uh, Narcan is very sparingly used in a surgical setting, which is a large market, which is where they focus. So that's a little bit about the, the, the opportunity, um, kind of what, what drew me to, towards it is one, I, I have a lot of conviction in the founding team and a lot of conviction in the technology um, and can talk a little bit about the technology partner that we brought in to look at, as I said, the ones and zeros of the three terabytes of data that they had generated in, in animal studies um, and in lab studies over the last decade. Um, but really, I think, as I mentioned before, kind of the, the ESG component that this, there's a lot of room to do social good uh, around the opioid crisis. And I think uh, people who are paying attention to it, recognize that there is no silver bullet. There's not one thing that is going to um, fix the opioid crisis to help change society, but there's going to be a lot of different steps and a lot of different pieces. And I, I really believe this is one. And so um, it get, gets back to the point of, I think that there's potential for a, a very great upside, really strong returns, um, but also uh, really an opportunity to do good in, in society. So when you're looking at go, transitioning from just working with family capital and working with other other high net worth families and as part of your investment, uh, the investments that you're making, what's that like? Because I think a lot of times we'll talk about families wanting to collaborate with each other. And I think part of that is uh, families will say that it's interesting that they want to talk about different deals, but it's a, it's a whole nother kettle of fish to actually get involved uh, with other families on deals. How did you find that uh, that as part of your overall investment experience? It, it has been interesting and it has been a learning experience for sure is, you know, when dealing just with your own family's capital, if you make a mistake, it's it's a tough dinner table conversation, but, you know, people move on and, and in venture, um, you know, you, you're going to have um, hopefully a fair few wins, but there are going to be some losses in there. Um, and, and we have cut our teeth on that. And, and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if, if I'd say it's, it was a mistake to invest, but sometimes things don't work out. Um, and essentially you're just dealing with, um, you know, investment professionals and, and uh, in your employee and your family. And um, that's difficult, but uh, you can move on from that. I think when making, investments with not only your capital, but outside capital, you really need to be a strong fiduciary for those funds. And for us, I think it has really forced us to ratchet up our diligence process, um, to codify it, you know, have a stronger procedure around it, and, and really lean more on um, our, our technology experts, our technology partners, to ensure that uh, we are turning over every stone um, and, and making sure that we are de-risking the opportunity as much as we can, still recognizing that venture 
as an asset class uh, is high risk. Um, that's something that also I kind of gravitate towards. I, I like that um, that risk profile. Uh, but and then there's kind of the reporting investor relations side that was that was not part of um, what of an investment when we were just investing um, from the family office. And so it's important to one guarantee information rights, no matter the size of check you're writing into a company so that you can provide the transparency and uh, to your uh, LPs. And, um, and for us, it's, it's really around, you know, do we take a board seat? Do, are we a board observer? Um, do our information rights allow us to garner the information to provide at minimum quarterly updates uh, to uh, our investors, um, if, if not more? And so uh, that's been a bit of a, a transition and kind of, you know, another addition to, to the job of, of not just investing and, uh, and kind of maintenance as, as well. I think it also puts us maybe not in a position, but maybe a requirement to try to be uh, stronger investors on the back end and portfolio company support recognizing if we can help one, if we can't help get out of the way, uh, you know, we recognize that entrepreneurs have a really hard job in startups and they are need to focus as much on building the business and less on investor relations and, and fundraising, though that is a, a necessary evil of their job. Um, but where we can help is to step in and, and to either personally or, or use our Rolodex um, to help drive growth for them, uh, whether that be in human capital sourcing and supply chain um, or, you know, growth through sales, through connections that we have um, in, in that space. And so that's, that's really been, I think, the largest transition from just investing solely for our own family office to uh, investing for our family office and taking outside capital. So going back to your family itself, your, your generation two, you've got a younger generation three. I know they're it's quite far away from them being actively involved with different things around the family and the family business and philanthropy. But given your experiences, what are some of your thoughts and of how you might do things similar to what your family did and for you and your siblings, but how you might do things that are a little different for them? Yeah, good question. And so, um, my brother's children, his eldest uh, are in college. Uh, my eldest just started the first grade. So there's kind of a large swath there. And I, and I bet he has a, a little different, and my sister's kind of somewhere in between. I bet you my brother has a little different view that, than I have and, and maybe has spent a little bit more time thinking about that as his children are closer to entering the workforce and, um, and the like. And so I think kind of maintaining um, the family tenants of, Morality, uh, as, as my father has always said, there's one way to do business, legal, moral, ethical, and first class. Uh, and if you do it that way, not only can you uh, sleep soundly at night, um, but most likely you'll be successful. And so I think kind of instilling uh, those values uh, in our children and then providing the supports around them. You know, it's very difficult. Uh, and I, I'm not sure anybody has has found the the equation on you know what does it look how much and when and and what do we give our children to ensure that they have uh, the greatest amount of choice and freedom um, to do what they feel is important, but also 
to ensure that we keep them safe uh, from themselves sometimes. And so I think it's really kind of a, a basis in one education, uh, ensuring that our children and, and generations in the future uh, are able to access the education um, that they feel is, is necessary to get to where they want to go. Um, still being strong members of the community, uh, supporting our current and future philanthropic efforts as, uh, as that winding road may change and, and their uh, focuses may change. Um, and then uh, kind of behind the scenes, as I tell you, the infrastructure really to work with um, lead, industry leading experts uh, in professional services, somebody like you in Denton's, um, but around estate planning and tax, as that's kind of a uh, ever-moving goalpost um, to ensure that we are preserving as much wealth from one generation to the next, but also empowering that next generation to to add to um, add to the bottom line. Uh, you know, this this can't just be a one-way street. And you see a lot of families, especially as you get to four or five generations, the numbers just keep getting bigger. Uh, and if um, kind of you know, that principal amount does not grow, uh, it becomes tougher and tougher for families. So that's that's a focus of ours as well. So reflecting on your family office, but also other family offices that you work with, are there any topical trends that you're seeing in the single family office space, whether it be around investing or other areas that, that have just come across as something interesting now that you're engaging a lot more with families as, as potential partners or other areas from there, but the things that you're seeing around the, the single family office space that you think may be uncommon knowledge uh, to, to what people are, are looking at. For sure. Um, you know, I think, I think that we're in an interesting time in history, especially for family offices, you know, created in the last 20 years, normally you'd see that the, the principal, the head of family is a baby boomer who is kind of ending either finished career or ending uh, nearing the end of their career. And so we're, I think we're in a position here where we're going to see the greatest amount of wealth transfer in history as um, first generation. My parents have done an incredible job of accumulating wealth. Um, and so kind of really focused on planning for the next generation, um, for, for the second generation, but really it's kind of generations in the future. You know, at, at this point, um, my brother, sister and I are established professionally, uh, and, um, are, are really able to, to run a fair amount of our own balance sheets uh, on our investing. Um, but really looking at that generation in the future. And, and what that looks like. And so really to have strong support in tax and estate planning, I think is crucial right now. On the investing side, I think we're seeing more and more families uh, get into direct investing. And I think that, you know, as, as we've done for 20 years and, and me for the last about 15, maybe 25 years and me for the last 15, is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fraught with danger. And everybody says, you know, go, go learn how to invest on other people's money. And that's not always um, possible. And so I think, you know, when looking at direct investing, at venture investing, kind of where things are um, in, in private equity, uh, I think it's important to have strong counsel. 
I, I really like our um, thesis around using subject matter expertise uh, and subject matter experts to ensure that we are you know, doing as much homework as we can. We will have you know, some strikeouts, but hopefully we'll have some home runs as well. Uh, I think that's, that's an interesting way to do it. Um, and then uh, I, I get a lot of questions around real estate. Um, and, I, and I think that you know, real estate has been a, a great sector for us and has, has built the foundation for our family office. Um, and uh, I think there's still a lot of opportunity. I, I know things are, are tough right now and rising cap rates um, are, are not always great. But I think if you're looking for kind of long-term buy and hold, I think there's still value there. I think that the um, multifamily market is, is strong and especially in secondary and tertiary markets. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for growth as well. I think we're seeing that this younger generation is not necessarily primarily focused on um, acquiring a home and, and a mortgage, um, but looking for uh, a, a rental apartment with strong amenities. Um, and so I think there's, there's still value there and, and get a lot of questions on that. Um, I think the venture market right now, where I sit, is a really exciting place to be on the buy side. Uh, it's it's a, a little um, tenuous in portfolio company support right now and companies continue to trying to grow and uh, raise um, up rounds. Um, but on, uh, on the buy side right now, Right. I think this vintage is going to be really strong. I think we've seen valuations come back to earth after five to 10 years of kind of astronomical growth. Um, but there's still a lot of pent up capital um, that's been committed to funds. So I think we're still going to see uh, a, a very strong venture market, um, though I think we are seeing a dip right now. I think August was was one of the by volume uh, lowest invested uh, month um, in the last couple of years. Uh, but I think right now that you can be a little bit more selective and you can drive terms that you may not um, have been able to do before. We've seen that with this recent biotech investment. We were able to, to drive valuation down, which, which will hopefully um, pay off in the long run. So those are, those are kind of some of the themes that I see. Um, but it's, it's an ever-changing market. You know, if, if you are in a family office or thinking about joining a family office, I think it's really important to stay, to try to plug yourself into the family office community. Um, so you see that what other people are doing. Sometimes you kind of feel like you're on an island, uh, but there's a lot of great groups out there. There's, there's a lot of information out there um, to be able to share kind of in a safe space uh, of, of sometimes it's, it's hard to talk about, of, you know, how, how fortunate you are. Um, but the goal is, is really to, to grow, preserve, grow for, for future generations to provide um, as much opportunity as we can is, is how I look at it. So last question for you, William, either a personal or professional lesson learned, something that you wish you could have told yourself five, 10, 20 years ago, what would it be? Um, I think from when I started professionally, kind of when I started investing is um, take your time, right? The, every every uh, uh, entrepreneur wants you to invest yesterday uh, and every investor wants to invest tomorrow. And so um, normally there are more tomorrows than you think. Uh, it's, it's the job of an entrepreneur to create a you know, momentum and fear of missing out. And, you know, we're closing tomorrow and you've got to get on board. Um, I, I just have found it, it, one, there will always be another opportunity. Uh, and so if you miss this one, you know, don't kick yourself for it. 
um, look for the next one. And deals that I think that we've had the most success with that we've tracked for months or years previous to, to making an investment. And that way you really, um, it, it's, you know, in a, a week, two weeks, a month, it's hard to get to know an entrepreneur. Um, you want to do business with the people that you like uh, and the people you get along with. And so the more time you you, f- uh, you have to form a relationship with an entrepreneur, I think the better. And I think the, the better that your investments will be. And, and I think that will help hone your strategy as well. Well, thanks, William. And really appreciate you joining today. And thanks for everybody who was listening in. And if you'd like to get in touch with William or you have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation or are so inclined, subscribe to our channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. And as always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, do check out our website. That is dentons.com forward slash family office. Well, that's it. Bye, everyone.